Hey, you're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in and around the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles throughout the week. And then we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, this is episode eight of Make and Multiply. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road. And in this episode, I want to talk about what we call the four questions. This material is in Appendix 3 called Hear and Obey in your Discipleship Huddle Guides. That is based on Saturate Resources DNA Guide. And these four questions come from Jeff Vanderstelt. I have found these to be a valuable tool to have in mind whenever I'm reading scripture, and I've seen them bear fruit in other people's lives as well. So I want to share them with you. If you use our discipleship huddle questions that we put out each week, you may notice that every week, whatever the passage of scripture is, one of the recommendations for huddles is just take these four questions and work through the text of scripture that was preached the Sunday before and ask these four questions. The other questions in in the huddle questions um, take you a little bit more in depth and are targeted specifically to that text of scripture, but any text of scripture you are reading in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you can always approach that text with these four questions. So this is certainly not exhaustive when it comes to how we read and study God's word. Uh, This is not the full extent of how we can dig into a passage, but this is a simple, easy to remember way to dig deep into any text of scripture to understand more about who God is and how he calls us to live as his people. So the four questions are simply these. Number one, who is God? Number two, what does God do? Number three, who am I in light of who God is and what God does? Who am I? And number four, what should I do or how should I live? So who is God? What does God do? Who am I and what should I do? Those are the four questions. We begin with the question, who is God? Who is God revealing himself to be in this passage of scripture? And we start there because we recognize that the Bible is primarily God's revelation of himself to his people, to the world. And he reveals himself by acting in history. God works on behalf of his people to redeem people and bring us into relationship with him and as god works in this unfolding story of redemption he is revealing himself and his character and his nature and his ways and so whenever we read the bible we want to read it with the understanding uh, it is primarily about god god is the main character And the spotlight is on him and his activity. So every text we come to, we can be asking ourselves, what does this text reveal about God and his character and his nature and his attributes? Sometimes that's going to be explicit and it'll be obvious and stated clearly. God's justice, his righteousness, his holiness, his wrath, his mercy. Sometimes it will be more implicit and you might have to reason back to God's, what, what does this imply about God's character or his nature in light of what we see God doing in this text of scripture. That's the foundation. Who is God? The second question then is, what does God do? We are not deists because God is not a spectator God. He has not wound up the universe like a watchmaker and then stepped away and and left the universe to run on its own. He is present and he is active and he makes his presence felt and known. And so it's right for us to be 
looking carefully as we read scripture for God's activity. One way to do that is just pay attention to the verbs that go along with God. When God is the subject, what is the verb that goes along with God? What is he doing in the story? And God does a ton. In fact, throughout the prophets, this is one of God's central charges against the idols and the false gods, the distinguishing feature that sets God apart from all of the the false gods and all of the idols is that God does stuff and the idols don't. Isaiah 41, God challenges the idols and says, tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. That is, give us some prophecy about the future. And then he says, do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified. So he says to them, just do something, do something good, do something harmful, just do anything at all so that we may actually know that you're real. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. In abomination is he who chooses you. And in Jeremiah 10, 5, it says, their idols cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. By contrast, God is not carried, he carries his people. God is not silent like the idols that cannot speak. He is a God who is speaking and communicating himself. God is powerful and he acts and we should be paying careful attention to what he does. His works provoke worship and wonder and awe in us. Exodus 15:11 After God has parted the Red Sea and brought his people out of Uh, slavery in Egypt, they worship him saying, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? There it is again, this distinction, this is what sets God apart. He has no equal. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. God is a God who is active, making his presence known and felt and revealing himself through his works of redemption. Psalm 40 verse 5 says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. God's wondrous deeds are more than can be told, but we join with the psalmist in saying, We're going to talk about them. We can't exhaust your works and your wondrous deeds, but we will talk about them. We will proclaim and tell of them. So we want to be looking at who is God and what has God done. And then we get to the question, who am I in light of who God is and what he is doing? So this is rooted in the conviction that true identity is derived. It's not self made or self-given. God alone is eternally existent, self-existing. He depends on no one and nothing. He has always been, and so he can reveal himself to Moses and say, uh, I am that I am. But everyone and everything else in the universe is made by God and dependent on God and therefore derives identity from God. God is creator. That's who he is. He created all things. That's what he has done. Therefore, Everything else is a creature, creation. And as human beings, we know that we are his creatures made in his image to glorify him. That is in sharp contrast to the major competing worldview in our culture that says you can make yourself into whatever you want to be. Uh, That's not a new belief or conviction that goes all the way back to the garden when the serpent deceived Adam and Eve and convinced them that they could uh, be like God themselves, that they could uh, create their own identity apart from God. 
But in our culture, it's connected to the idea of evolution, that everything is evolving and changing, just turning into whatever it wants to be. And so why don't you make yourself whatever you want to be? Your identity is this thing that you control and you set. But the reality is, none of us named ourselves. We have an identity that is given to us. And likewise, God is the one who names us, who gives us an identity because of what he does on our behalf. So 1 Peter 2 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had no identity. You had no purpose. You had no place, but now you are God's people because of what God has done on your behalf. He rescued you. He delivered you. He made you his and brought you into relationship with him. So your very identity is rooted in God's character and God's ways and all that he has done on your behalf. So out of that then flows how we should live, what we should do. We've talked about this before that we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, but we don't want to jump too quickly to the application and the doing of the word. We want to make sure that we have first understood rightly what scripture reveals about God and his ways, in particular, who God is and what God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the pinnacle of God's self-revelation. The work of Jesus on the cross is the apex of all of God's work in redemptive history. So we start there and we keep that central. And out of that, then we understand who we are because of God's saving work toward us in Jesus. And then we arrive at an understanding of how we are to live. So that's the last part of this process. There is this tendency that I think we all fall into of working backwards in the wrong direction, starting with what I do defines who I am. So we start with the very last part of uh, what do I have to do in order to have the kind of identity that I want to have. And then if we are mindful of God at all, and oftentimes we're not, we're just thinking about what do I have to do to have the kind of identity I want. But then if we think of God at all, our thoughts are something like, okay, well, if that's who I am because of what I've done, then how does God treat me? Um, So we assume, for example, if if you think I'm worthless because of what I've done, um, then you might conclude, well, God, God must hate me and ignore me and condemn me and want nothing to do with me. And, and so therefore God is distant and unloving and harsh. And even if you wouldn't come right out and say, that's what you believe about God, oftentimes we live like these things are true about God. And it's important for us to get down to the root of what we believe about God and to confess that as sin, because it is sin for us to believe things about God that simply aren't true. He is not distant. He's not unloving. He's not harsh. He's not weak and passive. And we ought not to think those things about him. On the other hand, if you are tempted to pride and arrogance to think, I'm awesome. And isn't God lucky to have me on his team? Uh, you, you might think then in regards to what will God do? Well, God will surely bless me because of what I've done for him. I, I deserve it. I've earned it. And God owes it to me now. The implication about who God is, is actually that God is needy. God needs me to meet his needs, to serve him. And now that I've done so, he owes me for that. So, so we have to get the order right. We start with who is God and what he has done, and that's always the foundation. There's an incredible uh, proof of this, really, in Exodus chapter 20, when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. People often think, you know, in the Old Testament, God was um, 
law and judgment and wrath. And then in the New Testament, he, he mellows out and he kind of turns over a new leaf and he's patient and he's merciful. The reality is that God has always um, acted in grace first toward undeserving sinners. And obedience comes after God's saving work. The exodus of Israel is an incredible picture of this, that God first redeems Israel before he gives them the law. So Exodus 20 verse 2, God's first words when he's delivering the law to Moses, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So before he gives a single commandment, he starts with, here's who I am. I am the Lord your God. And here's what I have done. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God already acted mercifully and graciously toward them according to his covenant promises. He delivered them from slavery. He parted the Red Sea. He destroyed the Egyptians behind them. And so when he gets to the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, it's a therefore kind of commandment. It's an implication. I am your God. You are my people. Therefore, don't have any other gods before me. No other God brought you out of Egypt. So don't give your worship and your allegiance and your faith and your devotion to any God other than me. So we need to keep that order in mind in our own hearts as we work through scripture as well. One other thought about these four questions, uh, don't worry about separating the first two, who God is and what God does. In fact, hold them together. They always go together and and they're going to be closely related. Um, If we see God creating, the implication is that, well, who is God? God is creator. Uh, If we see God rescuing and redeeming, it means God is a rescuer and redeemer. If we see um, that God is just, we can conclude God judges justly. Those two things are related to each other because God always acts consistently with his character. Everything he does is consistent with who he is. So use those four questions. Uh, Use them when you gather as a huddle to talk through a, a passage of scripture. But use them personally as well when you're just reading through the Bible devotionally. Uh, One idea would be to have a journal and write down those four questions and then just in bullet point form, jot down one or two or three observations you make from a text of scripture that you are reading devotionally. Uh, What are you learning about who God is, about what he has done, about who you are in light of that, and then about how he calls you and empowers you by his spirit to live for his glory and for your joy and for the good of the world around you. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at emmausroadsf.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected. If you're interested in more, you can find this content in our discipleship huddle guide, which is based on the DNA guide by Saturate Resources. The music on this episode is called Everywhere by Lee Rosevere and it's used under a Creative Commons license.